Hello and welcome to you all. It is Friday, March 10th, 2023. Another week has come and gone, which means it is time for Fake News Friday. Nothing fake about our analysis, but we uh, harangue those who are fostering the hurricanes of deception. We swim through the uh, whirlpools of uh, verbal wizardry that occur, and I'm just making up these adjectives now, and I'm right out of them. So let's just introduce my loyal and fantabulous co-host, Fantastic Never a fabulous Sue Ann Levy. Sue Ann, how was the week? And uh, I will add to that happy belated International Women's Day to you. Oh my God. I'm actually decided I'm going trans because <laughs> of International Women's Day. And maybe I can get more recognition as a woman if I become a trans. So can you imagine a trans woman who's actually a lesbian, but really is a woman. I I mean, I'm totally confused, Andrew. There was a a story years ago in the Washington Post about a a lesbian couple somewhere in the U.S. who, uh, one of them transitioned to male, and they were upset that all of their gay friends now just saw them as a regular old straight couple because one was a man and one was a woman. So you can actually, like, over-diversify your way out of being diverse, apparently. Oh my God, I rely on that oppression intersectionality of being a lesbian. So I'm not leaving that, you know, that niche that I have created. Well, I hope you felt significantly fetid as a, uh, a woman, at least for the time being, on International Women's Day. <laughs> Let's get into the mainstream media and their uh, perseverance, I will say, in crafting a narrative and trying to flog that narrative like a dead horse. One of them is that the conservatives are these evil, hateful, right-wing Nazi apologists for a few MPs meeting with the German member of the European Parliament, Christine Anderson, a few weeks back. And Pierre Polyev has now been asked about this time and time again he was in this one press conference and they just wouldn't lay off him about it take a look we, we all, we, consequences on members of your caucus who met with christine anderson whose views, views yourself said were vile well i think right now what i'm more concerned about is the vile and racist views of the prime minister who after over half of if i could if i if i could over over half of his adult life dressed up in vile racist costumes so many times that he cannot remember them all. It's such an odd and pointed question. How are you going to kick them out of caucus? It's almost as though they're lobbying for that to happen. Yeah, well, you know that the legacy media has ceased to be reporters. Uh, they're repeaters and they are, they've become lobbyists on behalf of the Trudeau government. Um, much of them, of course, many of them being on the payroll of the Trudeau government, in particular CBC. So, I mean, why should we be surprised? Yeah, and I I think that, you know, the line that I've used on the show in the past and on my own show is that when the media goes after the liberals, it's for not living up to what a liberal is supposed to be in their view. When they go after conservatives, it's for being conservatives. It's for uh, believing the things that they believe. And in this particular case, even if Pierre Polyev were to say, yep, you know, absolutely, we're going to kick out Leslie Lewis and Dean Allison and Colin Carey, it wouldn't make the problem go away. You would just give them an ounce of flesh and they'd keep on looking for more. Yes, they're never going to be content. And, you know, the hypocrisy, it just reeks of hypocrisy because, you know, we've seen so many times when Trudeau or one of his cabinet members, highly placed cabinet members have met with suspect people. And, you know, just recently there was a whole group of people, uh, Omar Alcabra and some of the uh, MPs meeting with uh, Palestinian terror, like anti-Semites on on 
Parliament Hill with Palestinian terrorists. And, you know, there was very little coverage of that. Um, it kind of went and, and happened and then it blew away, which it often does with the legacy media. But uh, I mean, I'm getting very frustrated with the absolute double standard of how they cover Pierre Polyev versus, you know, I guess their, uh, their handout master. <laughs> What did you think of how Polyev tried to turn it around on them and basically say, you want to talk about racism, let's talk about Prime Minister Blackface. Do you think that was a an immature low blow or is that how you have to play the game now? You know, I uh, that's the way I play it. I Because I always say that, you know, there is a double standard. And I think, you know, and they like to use that word, whataboutism. You're just engaging in whataboutism because they can't handle the truth. But the, the point is that there is a terrible double standard. So maybe it comes across as immature to some, but the whole thing is that he's not, Trudeau is not judged on anything to the degree that Polyev is, mm -hmm. and relatively minor things. Whereas, you know, I've lost count of the, the many, many issues that Trudeau's gotten a free pass on. Yeah, and, and when you talk about minor issues, it actually feeds into this next story here, which I will say is probably one of the most Polyev derangement syndrome affirming stories we could come up with. So there's apparently this Canadian band called The Tragically Hip, which everyone in Canada likes and no one outside of Canada has ever heard of. And, you know, I, again, I know what it is. I could probably name three of their songs and not sure if I could pluck any of them out of a lineup except for the late Gord Downey. But uh, Pierre Polyev, keeping with Canadian content, which we're supposed to be celebrating and and having more and more of at one of his events in the background. It wasn't like his stage entrance song or anything. He wasn't doing it like Eye of the Tiger and Newt Gingrich walking into CPAC. They had in the background a song called 50 Mission Cap by the Tragically Hip. And it was Karima Sad, the uh, independent uh, journalist and lawyer that had tweeted a clip and mentioned this. And then the guitarist for the Tragically Hip, Paul Langlois, tweeted out that it was highly offensive. If true, highly offensive that Pierre Polyev was using their song. Then they, of course, found out that because the event was being held at a venue that is registered with SoCan, which is the licensing agency for music, and if you book an event there, you pay a SoCan licensing fee that lets you pay all of these songs, it was entirely fine. It was entirely legitimate. They could play the song. And then the uh, Langlois actually sort of backed up and he said, well, you know, we would like it if people saw it our approval, but we weren't sure about the specifics. No, they stepped in it. They absolutely did. And, you know, I think tragically hip. What have you heard about them lately? I mean, we heard a lot about them when poor guy Gord Downey was dying of, of brain cancer. But what have we heard from them lately? And I would be, you know, if, if I were a member of the tragically hip and uh, I'm no longer tragically hip because I'm a boomer. Um, I'm just I tragic. I've never been hip. <laughs> Tragically, but I would be happy that I got some publicity. My goodness, I always thought in this business there is no negative publicity. Just celebrate the fact that your name is being mentioned, and you know to 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 lose your lunch over it, to get crazed about it. I mean, it just this is the 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 world we're living in right now, and it's it's not a good good world. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it's kind of an odd one here when he's saying that uh, they want permission for people to play their music. No, when you register with SoCan and allow your song to be played at SoCan facilities, you have decided that you'll just take the money of whomever is going to play your song and you don't really get any oversight on that. And there was this little kind of snippy exchange between someone else who said to uh, Paul Langlois, oh, am I allowed to play it while I'm working alone baking? And Paul just says, no, you're not allowed. And someone said, I'm having a party next weekend. Can I play your music for my guests? And he says, yes, thanks for asking, but you don't have to. So uh, now all of a sudden, no one knows if in uh, Paul Langlois' eyes, you're allowed to play uh, the Tragically Hip. So I think we all have to, just in the interest of uh, being cautious, of being abundantly cautious, not play the Tragically Hip. We don't want to offend the sensibilities of the guitarist. I'm not playing any Tragically Hip songs, uh, you know, anywhere in my house, okay? Because he may find out that I'm a conservative and he doesn't like conservatives playing his songs. But, you know, this speaks to the the absolute derangement of, peop of people who don't like Pierre Polyev. He didn't even check into what the situation was. He just reacted emotionally to a tweet without even doing his homework or research and then, you know, stepped in it and then had to back off. And, you know, it all you can do is laugh. Indeed. And uh, one thing that is no laughing matter at CBC is their diversity unto death approach, where you have to have all of the boxes checked if you are uh, this religion, this ethnicity, this sexual orientation, this level of uh, ability or disability. They, they want to know so that they can have all of these diversity quotients. Well, uh, CBC staff were, according to an article in the National Post, rather shocked to find that all of these confidential diversity things they were filling out in one survey ended up stored in their online HR files. So uh, the employees were putting in their sexual orientation, their gender identity, and all of a sudden they appeared in their online human resources profiles when they thought they were just filling out confidential diversity surveys. And, you know, I don't think you should be that surprised because if your company is reducing everything down to these top level identities, of course they care enough about these to put them in your HR files. Yes, exactly. I mean, you, you can't uh, sort of suck and blow at the same time. You want the job, you get the job because you're, you're a, a, a member of a, an oppressed group. Uh, I'm using the activist language. You're, uh, you know, you're diverse. You have intersecting, how many words can I throw out this afternoon? Intersecting, <laughs> <laughs> intersecting identities. But then it shows up as part of your human resources file. Well, hey, that's how you probably got the job or got to keep the job or helped you get the job. I mean, that's the way the world is these days in various institutions, not just the CBC, but I see it as school boards as well. You know, if you're a member of an oppressed group, you get a jump on other people. It's a sad reality. But what did they expect? Yeah, one employee said they felt it was a betrayal of trust because they thought this was just going to be purely statistical data. CBC spokesperson has said, yeah, but it is strictly confidential and only a few people have access to it. And the survey was voluntary. If an employee wanted to do the cultural census, 
they can see their own answers, but their supervisor doesn't have access to the information. So, uh, you know, look, I, I think the whole point is that when we start breaking down identity into these different categories, the overlapping identities, the intersecting identities, racial, sexual, like, like, you know, why does it matter if you are of a particular sexual orientation at work? I mean, unless you're trying to run the CBC internal dating app, I don't think it really matters if someone is straight or gay. Oh, come on. Yeah, most people probably know these days. What's the big deal? I mean, it wasn't like back in my day in the 90s when I had to live in the closet because I thought it was a, you know, career limiting to be a lesbian um, in the workforce in a and a conservative paper. It's totally different world now. Like, I, I think they're just finding things to, to complain about. Maybe they're not busy enough. Maybe there are too many people going out on a story <laughs> all at once. Yeah, that's my question is how much time was spent and how much money was spent on the CBC cultural consensus or cultural census or whatever they're calling it. Um, there are some areas, though, that are insufficiently diverse to some people. One of those is the construction business, a an op-ed in the Toronto Star written by a woman named Kristen Coots says, we need more women in construction. Now, I don't know how many women there are in construction, but I do know that any construction project I've ever had around my my own home has had all male crews and uh, most construction sites you drive by or walk by have all male, not always, but there is fairly consistently a, a dearth of women in the construction business. And what uh, Kristen Coot says is that she's getting, it's getting tiring and predictable to see middle-aged white men wearing a t-shirt, jeans, construction boots, and sunglasses strutting out of people's homes after putting in a half day with no confirmation on when they're coming back. It's infuriating. She says construction is a playground for men. And she makes the point that male contractors are ripping women off. She talks about getting screwed by a plumber. I think there are some unscrupulous contractors that will just as Not a bit. And, you know, by very sheer fact that, you know, it's like the firefighting business or being a firefighter. Um, there are very few women who are firefighters. Why? Because, I mean, the reality is that men have, you know, are able to lift and run into tall buildings, lifting hoses, wearing 40, 50, 60 pounds of equipment. Um, and women just physically are not able to do that. The same thing with construction. There are certain tasks in construction that women are just not capable of doing physically. Having said that, you know, there, <laughs> I've seen women, um, I, I, I live in Toronto, very close to the LRT, unfortunately too close to the LRT, Boondoggle, the Eglinton Crosstown, and I've seen women on the job site, uh, but again, there are physical limitations to women, and I, I dare say she didn't think this through, and I also would say that she didn't really get any statistics. This was all anecdotal. I don't recall her saying, well, I looked at Stats Canada, there are X number of women in construction. But I, I think that for the certain jobs like being a plumber or, or even electrician, I mean, those are jobs that women can do.
Yes, exactly. And I think because of the physical limitations, and I think that women, um, you know, it's it's a dirty business. And, you know, a lot of women just choose not to do it. I don't think for a minute that they're being excluded from the construction business. In fact, I know in major cities across Canada, there's a dearth of construction workers. And mm -hmm. if women wanted to do it, they need them. Um, but again, I mean, can you see women lifting heavy piping or, I don't know, going out and, you know, uh, the scaffolding uh, up high, you know, 60, 70 feet high? Um, they just probably choose not to do it. Well, I'll leave that, but I, I can hammer and I can screw in a nail. So I'm actually, and my wife is very, very good. She is so handy. It's unbelievable. So, you know, we should, we should tell the lady who wrote this article that there are women who actually do things around the house and are very handy. <laughs> 